do you feel that receiving can be hard for a lot of people receiving gifts receiving abundance receiving the gift of life i do i do i think that probably the reason for that maybe comes down to fear first and foremost fear can block us from receiving fear of not wanting to know fear of not feeling again deserving fear of the you know of the unknown can be frightening to people do you know sitting quietly and just being with oneself can be frightening to people you know what i ask them is what are you most afraid of what is that you think you're afraid that you will come to know about yourself you might be very very pleasantly surprised you know there's that great quote there's nothing to fear but fear itself and when you get on the other side of fear you realize there's less and less to be afraid of if you want to change the world start with yourself gandhi hello boys and girls ladies and gentlemen this is nishant and welcome to another episode of the nishant garg show this is a podcast about helping you live a fulfilled life and my job on the show is to invite the world class experts to extract the practices routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life this episode is brought to you by friday newsletter every friday i share an exclusive email to the newsletter subscribers which mentions what i am learning recent podcast updates things i'm experimenting with books i'm reading and much much more you can find the newsletter link at https://nishangarg.me and i s h a n t g a r g.me and today's guest is ora nedrick ora is the founder and president of the institute for transformational thinking and author of Live True a mindfulness guide to authenticity this book has been named in the 100 best mindfulness books of all time by book authority she is a certified life coach and mindfulness teacher specializing in transformational thinking self discovery and mentoring new coaches as they develop their careers ora's rare combination of insight intuition compassion and charisma has made her one of the most effective and sought after coaches in Los Angeles. Her work has been featured in Women's Health magazine, Reader's Digest, Conscious Lifestyle magazine, Fast Company, Success magazine, and many other reputed media outlets. We all face obstacles and negative thoughts in our lives, but that doesn't mean we have to let them keep us from achieving our goals and dreams. It is not enough to simply examine our thoughts and be aware of them. We must question and challenge them in order to bring about true change. In this episode, Aura is going to explore this and how to transform your thinking through different practices and much much more in a very simple, easy to understand and actionable ways. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Aura Nedrick. Aura, welcome to the show. Hi, Nishan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to have this conversation with you so i thought i will start by asking you what do you drink in the morning do you drink tea or coffee i am a tea drinker as of lately i have preferred drinking tea in the morning i have been both a tea and a coffee drinker but it's really now tea i love my chai tea in the morning that's my tea of choice What brand of tea is that? It's I think it's Tazo. I believe it's Tazo tea. I should know. I've been drinking it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it is. Yes. If it's not, I'll make sure to tell you after the interview. And what time do you wake up? I wake up about six thirty a.m. and sometimes between 6:30 and 7 but closer to the side of 6:30 a.m. so after you wake up what do you do in the first 60 minutes of your waking up time well upon awakening i try and retrieve a dream i've done a lot of dream work over the years and being that 
we really have just awakened from a dream state. I love to dream catch, if you will. I love to not hurry out of bed, but to try and remember the journey that I took in a dream state, which is your unconscious. And I love to spend some time in bed doing that. I never jump out of bed quickly. Or I do a bit of a meditation in the morning, a breathing meditation. And it's really more of a meditation of gratitude where I really acknowledge that I'm one more day alive and connect to breath. So it's, I would say it's a mindfulness, awareness, meditation upon awakening. You mentioned dream work. Can you elaborate more on that? How can we practice in our lives? Well, I've been doing a lot of dream work for quite a long time. I have worked closely with Carl Jung's work, uh, the psychologist, psychoanalyst Carl Jung, and his work covers all sorts of areas of the psyche and soul and body and soul, if you will. And he's done a lot of work about the unconscious, which is really what we experience when we go into a sleep state. So in an awakened state, we are conscious. We are aware of everything in a conscious state. When we go into a dream state, that's the opportunity for what lies beneath the conscious level of consciousness can bring us information that is valuable to us. So it comes in the forms of dreams. There's a lot of symbology in dreams. There are a lot of archetypal, which are universal symbols that are part of the collective consciousness, meaning I could have a dream that maybe has a lotus flower in it, or it has a snake, or it has a rainbow. And I can talk to somebody that day and they say, oh, wow, I had a dream last night that had a snake or a rainbow or a lotus flower in it, which means that these are collective images and symbols that we can all relate to and or identify with. So my dream work has been very extensive. And there's something called dream interpretation or dream amplification. And really what I encourage for people to do with the work that I do, which is in the area of mindfulness, which is the practice of being aware. And I say, take a couple of minutes just to see if you can retrieve a dream because it might have a very special message for you that your unconscious has presented to you in a dream state. And it can be really very illuminating. When you retrieve a dream on a regular basis or at times in your life, what does it do to you personally? How do you feel after that? For me personally, it gives me information that I might not have on the level of conscious awareness, meaning being in an awake state. So for those that are cognizant of their dreams, we go on many different journeys through a dream state. We can find ourselves in different places, with different people, with different scenarios. And I believe that it is part of the ongoing life journey, if you will. So for me, it gives me more information. It gives me information of maybe perhaps things that want to come to the surface of my awareness, but that maybe I'm not ready to receive and what I get through the unconscious state in a dream state is that it can show me that I'm now ready to receive this information. And it gives me more information on the journey of evolving, the journey of conscious awareness. Do you know? So I consider dreams great gifts to us. And we, if, you know, if we're aware of them or we are patient enough to spend time and not be so hurried, because as we know, <laughs> many people are very rushed to get out of bed. And there's some very valuable time that can be spent just when we open our eyes and we really move into a whole new day. Aura, you seem to me someone who is very calm, relaxed, very sophisticated. Thank you. How have you been able to cultivate this state of being? 
Well, I do believe that it's probably the true essence of who I am and that it's probably my nature. And I think each of us has our own true nature, if you will, which is the essence or perhaps what can also be called one's Buddha nature. Do you know, it's it's just really maybe who we are, you know, and I think that if we accept who we are and we allow for our true essence to come forward, we can discover that it is, you know, probably much more calm than when we are engaged in life, where we're pulled into the current of life that causes us to be less calm, you know, maybe perhaps more stressed. And also I've been a meditator for many, many years. I started meditating over 30 years ago. And I started my meditation practice with transcendental meditation, also known as TM. And for those that are not familiar with it, it's a Sanskrit-based meditation that I really started my practice with. And then from there, I moved on to mindfulness meditation, which is not using a particular mantra, if you will. Or if I want to use a mantra, I can use whatever mantra I want to use. Or if I want to focus on the breath, I focus on the breath, you know, so and then I became a mindfulness meditation practitioner. And I would say that that probably also adds to the calmness that I seek out. I love being in a state of equanimity. I, I actually really prefer it. I don't like to be in an unnatural state. I can feel it. I'm very connected to the, to the mind-body connection. So I can very quickly discern if I'm not functioning in my true nature state. And look, we know that life is pulling us in all sorts of different directions. I love the quote by French philosopher Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, which says we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And it's our human experiences that really sometimes take us out of those calm states. And really, the state I feel of the spirit, or a more spiritual state, if you will, is one of more calmness, equanimity, acceptance. I think it's just a a more natural state to be in. At least it is for me. I don't want to sound presumptuous that all beings, you know, seek that state. I, I know for me, I like to be in a more calm, contemplative state. That's why I seek out the contemplative practices. We are living in a culture and society where most of the time we human beings are, including me, are on go, go, go. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to live a calm and relaxed state of being and live a more calm life on a frequent basis? You know, Nishant, that's such a good question, and it's very applicable to our lives, do you know, because we know realistically that we can't sit in meditation all day. And I think the the beauty of mindfulness is really it's informal meditation. It's really taking your awareness out into the world and applying that awareness to all the things that you do. That's why I, I really treasure the practice of mindfulness, do you know? What I would say specifically to that is that we are in a constant go, go, go state, as you say. We are very busy people living very busy lives, doing a lot of things. But really what I encourage is that find time in your day to just stop, to pause, which is very easy to do. You know, when I hear people say, oh, I don't have time to do that, I think to myself, well, what do you think time is meant to be spent. How is it meant to be spent? Just busy from, you know, from the minute you wake up in the morning to the time you put your head on the pillow? Are we just meant to be busy or go, 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 as you say? I don't think so. So I think one has to make a concerted effort, if you will, to stop. And when I say stop, whether you're whether you have a meditation practice or you don't, this includes everyone. I don't want anyone to feel not included in this whole notion of Find time in your day to just really stop. That means get off your devices. That means, you know, turn off anything that's going to keep you in a distracted state. Sit quietly. Again, whether you meditate or not, sit quietly, somewhere quiet, if you will, and just be. You know, we spend so much time doing and such little time being. And I think it 
it is about being comfortable with yourself in the non-doing state. And it doesn't really require really very much of anybody, nor again, do you have to be a seasoned meditator. I also would say that doing something that I have in my book, Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, I introduced the concept of life gazing. Life gazing for me really represents just, you know, whether you're indoors and you're, let's say, working on your computer, stop and look out the window. Watch the sky and look at the clouds moving across it. Look at the birds, you know, maybe flying off of a branch of a tree and then going off into the sky to their next destination. Better than that, go outside. Go outside and life gaze. You know, look at the sunrise, look at the sunset. Find time in your day when you can do that. And it really takes very little time to do these things. Right now, I'm looking at the trees outside the window. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a specific time in your daily life to stop and pause and just do nothing? I do not have a specific time. I will say that you asked me my first morning ritual, which is, you know, express the dream retrieval. But I love to open up all the curtains in my room. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that I have a beautiful view. And I have a lot of trees around me, a lot of, you know, grass, and it's, it's very green. And so I love to look at the birds that are flying. I've seen hawks and, you know, beautiful birds that are just eagles just flying across the sky. I love to see like, even as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at the branches outside, and there's a very slight breeze. So I'm seeing the the leaves on the branches, like swaying ever so slowly. I find that so beautiful and so meditative. I'm listening to the sound of the birds chirping. This is life gazing. This is the appreciation of that which is around us. And it really, again, does not require a lot of time to do, <laughs> to do this. And this is mindfulness. This is really mindfulness in motion, if you will. This is what I teach about practicing mindfulness is having the awareness, showing up in a moment, being fully present, having the awareness of the awareness of self, which means, you know, have an awareness of with your thoughts, your feelings, your, you know, bodily sensations, have an awareness of your environment, have an awareness of others. You know, when we start to heighten our awareness, we do begin to live life more mindfully, if you will. In addition to life gazing, I have a follow-up question to you. What is your relationship with Mother Nature? Oh, I love Mother Nature. I think I refer to her as a in the feminine, not to say that she's just feminine, but I think we do say Mother Nature, so we identify her as the great Mother Earth. <laughs> I think she's exquisite. I think she is so beautiful. I think that all you have to do is just connect to nature. You know, for me, I'm very resonant with the ocean. I love to be around the water. And for me, it puts me into just such a good mood when I connect with nature. And I'm always completely uplifted when I'm around nature. And I appreciate the beauty that is all around me. Now you live in Los Angeles with your husband, Jeffrey Nadrik, and your two sons. If I were to ask your husband, Jeffrey, (laughs) what does Aura do? How would he respond? (laughs) That's such a good question. You know, he would say probably exactly what I'm saying to you. It's interesting because... I actually got my husband Jeff to meditate. I didn't <laughs> I didn't teach it to him. You know, he's a lawyer and he's a very busy man and so his life has not been spent really seeking the contemplative path if you will. That's been a path I've been on a psycho spiritual path for a very very long time. So I think his answer would probably be that yes, these are ways of living that Aura really values, do you know, and that she really represents that in our family. 
you know, I'm in a home of, well, my boys are not at home. They're, they're out of the home. One of my sons is out on his own. My other son is away in college, but that they know that this is something I value tremendously and that I always make time to, whether it's meditate, to, you know, sit quietly and, you know, contemplate or, you know, do all the things that I'm describing to you. I would say that that's how Jeff would describe me is that person. How did you influence him to meditate? Well, I said to him one day, he came home and he had worked hard the whole day and he came home and I was aware that he wasn't really leaving the day behind him, if you will. So I really observed him and I saw that he had carried some of the day into the house. And what I mean specifically about that, for anybody who really works, you know, in, in certain areas and certain professions and what that requires of you, you might not be able to just turn that off so quickly when you walk into the door. I mean, for me, I walk in the door, I immediately take off my shoes. I want to go into that sort of, you know, home state of being that is really a more relaxed state and where I can leave the outside outdoors where it belongs. So I observed him one day when he came home and I saw that he really needed to decompress. He needed really time to transition, which he does. And I understand that because of the profession that he's in. And I suggested to him, I had suggested meditation to him before, and I don't think he was quite ready to receive it. And so one day when he came home, I said to him, I feel that meditation would really benefit you in many ways. And I think that you would probably be very receptive to it. And I suggested that he do it. And he took it up. He went to have some he, transcendental meditation sessions with a professional transcendental meditation teacher. And I have to tell you, Nishant, he took to it like a duck to water. He, <laughs> it was amazing. He just took to it so magnificently. And so my intuition about him was really correct in that I knew that if he could spend time in his own private space, he would go to his home office, and he would just sit and meditate, that he would be able to just shut out the world, if you will. And he loves it. And by the way, I really saw a change in him when he started to become an active meditator. He started to become more calm. He started to know what it means to transition so that if one does work in a certain capacity that requires certain practice or behavior or energy from them that they can know when to turn it off. Do you know? And I think transitioning is really important. I think we have to know when to turn off, like what you asked me earlier, know when to turn off our devices, know when to stop allowing the distractions to distract us, knowing really when we allow ourselves to take the time that we need for ourselves. I call it sacred time it's really creating sacred space for yourself and that you allow yourself to go into that space and give that to yourself, you know, gift yourself the time of quietude and serenity. How has your relationship with him transformed through your mindfulness practices, considering that he is also a meditator now? I think that my practices overall, you know, being a mindfulness practitioner has really, I think, affected my entire family. I think they have an awareness of a way in which one moves through life with a more heightened awareness. And, you know, it's not that I expect my family members to adapt to these types of practices just because I do. But I think that them having this awareness even and understanding it, maybe not to the full depths that I do because I have been a practicing mindfulness practitioner and meditator for so long, I I think that it really affects those around you. I think when they see that you really value these practices and that maybe perhaps you appear more calm, you appear more 
able to to go into the state of equanimity and serenity and quietude, that they see that it works for you. And when you're an example of that, I think that, you know, I can say for my family, specifically with Jeff, I think he really values it. And I think he appreciates it. Thank you for explaining. And Aura, I would like to ask you about your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, could you share any memorable story from your childhood days, if anything comes to your mind? Well, you know, you asked me questions about nature. And I remember as a very young girl, as early as five years old, I loved to be outdoors. And I was a real tree climber. I love to climb trees. <laughs> and it was only until one time I was very determined to climb this particular tree in front of my house at the time as high as I possibly could. And I fell out of the tree and I landed very hard, you know, and it was, it knocked the wind out of me. And it was, you know, it was not pleasant to say the least, but the neighbor rushed over my family, everybody came out and I remember that I also, aside from being a tree climber, I love to look up at the sky and I love to watch the clouds. And I remember as a young girl, and I think this really goes back to why mindfulness, I think, and meditation are so familiar to me and feel so natural for me. Because even in a meditation practice, you know, we understand that the mind is busy and a lot of people have a hard time turning off their thoughts when they're meditating. And one of the tenets of meditation is the explanation that thoughts are like clouds in the sky. They, they don't stay permanent. It's like clouds moving across the sky. So it's always fluid. It's always moving. And I think that how much I love doing that as a child, I think is why it's so natural for me to still like to do it today. I love to look up at the, in the, at the sky. And so it, it really indicates to me that that was really my, again, going back to nature, that was my true nature. And again, love the outdoors. I also wrote poetry as a little girl. I started writing poetry very young. Those are vivid memories that come to me, really, if you ask me about my childhood. <laughs> Thank you. At what point in your life you got introduced to mindfulness and meditation? Well, I started my, my, my meditation practice. As I mentioned, my first introduction into meditation was with transcendental meditation. And at the time, I was an actress. I was an actress for 10 years. And I feel that on my journey, I've always been led to where I need to go. Sometimes I don't even know what led me there. I don't remember even who told me about meditation. All I know is that nobody I knew was meditating at the time. And I was an actress. I started my acting career pretty early, you know, right out of high school. And, and then while I was at college for a couple of years, I was introduced to TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I began my meditation practice. And it was life-changing for me. I, you know, just immediately, like how, kind of how I described Jeff taking to it so quickly, I took to it really fast. So it introduced me to this practice that I found extremely valuable. And it really opened up a whole new world for me. But it wasn't until many years later when I experienced a family tragedy. And that was that my oldest sister, who I just loved and admired so much, had a mental breakdown. And she was five years older than me. So she had a very, very sad misfortune and that she had had a mental breakdown. And she was never quite the same again. And she was diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia. And it was devastating. And it was rather traumatic, actually, for me being the youngest in the family. And, you know, it was it was hard, and it caused me great anxiety. And so what that did, Nishant, is that it took me on another quest, and it took me on another path. And I, years later, because it would it's a very long story, but I, I went into learning all sorts of psycho-spiritual modalities 
to kind of understand my own anxiety and also to really learn more about the workings of the mind. And what happened to my sister really set the course of my destiny because what happened to her, her misfortune, really set me on my path of awakening and self-realization. And it really, what I say is she's my greatest inspiration. She really is the reason why I got into the work that I did years later. I gave up acting. I was a, a screenwriter for a while. I, I gave all that up and I devoted my time to really going on a spiritual journey, a psycho-spiritual journey to learn everything I could to study, to become certified, to, to do everything I could to really learn more about who we are, what we're doing here, and how the mind works. And my, my work is based in transformational thinking. There's so many follow-up questions I have on this thing. So whenever any trauma comes to you in your life in many ways, what questions do you usually ask yourself? When traumas come to my life or to anyone's life, do you mean... To it? your life. Well, I think that a trauma like that, which is life-changing, I mean, that changed my life forever. What happened to my sister definitely was life-changing for me. I think that when we look upon trauma, suffering, any misfortune, when I look at it, personally, I look at it as that it is an opportunity to go deeper into life. It's an opportunity to learn more about life. It's an opportunity not to turn away from the suffering, but to go towards it and to know that there are great, great learnings, great teachings that come of that. I mean, you know, the Buddha talked about suffering, that life is full of suffering and it's also full of great joy. It's, it's a contradiction. You know, it's very, very much a dualistic uh, dance, if you will. There's great joy to life, and there's also suffering, as we know. So I feel that, you know, when one is in the grips of trauma, or one is in the grips of suffering, you might not think of it as a gift in the time that you're experiencing it, because it's extremely difficult. But I do think that it can bring us tremendous tremendous learning. And some of the greatest teachings in, in life have come from our greatest pain. And in your book, Says Who, How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. I would like to read three lines from this book. We all face obstacles and negative thoughts in our lives, but that doesn't mean we have to let them keep us from achieving our goals and dreams. In your book, Says Who, how one simple question can change the way you think forever. You reveal a powerful and effective method for mindful daily practice to take control of our thoughts and ultimately our destiny. So which question are you talking about in this book, Aura? I think it's the very first question of the Says Who Method, which is a questioning, a cognitive method, if you, if you will, that I created, which is called, again, the says who method. And I, I say it's the first question of the says who method, which is says who. It's the question, it's the first question we ask ourselves when a thought appears in our mind that is either negative or fear-based or troubling. Asking says who is asking, who is saying this thought in my mind? You know, asking that very first question is taking responsibility for the thoughts that we have we need to take responsibility for the thoughts that we that we house in in our mind you know we need to be able to understand that there needn't be a disconnection from the thoughts that we have but that we must come closer to knowing the thoughts that we have and why we have them to familiarize ourselves with our thoughts not to brush them away not to deny them not to pretend that we don't have them but to move closer to them so that our thoughts can tell us more about why we are having the thoughts that are troubling us. Is there a practice to be aware of listening to the negative thinking? Well, you know, I do mention in Says Who, you know, to be the observer and not the reactor. And the observer really is to have an awareness, which brings us back to mindfulness. And that's 
having the awareness of the thoughts that we have. A lot of people don't really acknowledge their thoughts, or as thousands of people have said to me over the years that I've had Says Who out published, I never thought to question my thoughts before. I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, I never <laughs> thought, I, gee, I never thought to do that. I never thought to ch- question or challenge one of my negative or fear-based thoughts. So what do we do? We readily accept them. Oh, a thought comes into our mind that tells us we're not good enough, that we're never going to be successful that we're not lovable, that we're never going to achieve our goals. And what do we do? We accept them as true without challenging them and asking the first says who question says who? Why am I believing this thought so readily? Well, if you believe that your mind is controlled by your thoughts, then rather the other way around, we control the thoughts in our mind, I believe, that's my personal theory then we have the opportunity to change them, which goes to my release and replace technique, which is a technique that I created, which really is extremely simple. And that is changing a negative thought out for its positive counterpart. You know, what good does it do to hold on to a negative thought? We know what it feels like even in the body. It doesn't feel good. When I offer up this release and replace technique, which I've done to, you know, in many workshops that I've done over the years, it's just astounding to see visible changes in people by just simply asking them to change their negative thought to a positive one. Can you give us an example or two examples on changing negative thinking to positive thinking? Well, you know, a lot of the negative thoughts that people tell themselves, which is obviously different for everybody else. I think it's fair to say that we have an inner critic that, you know, maybe doubt, we doubt ourselves, we undermine ourselves, we sabotage ourselves for reasons that can come from a variety of places that we might feel we're not worthy, or that we don't deserve something, you know. So a lot of the ways in which we hold ourselves, which is why it's so important to, I believe, experience the inner journey and go further in oneself to find out who we are, which I speak about a lot in my book, After Says Who, which is called Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, is to really work with a negative thought. So for example, if someone has a negative thought that could be something like, I will never be successful like this other person that they may be looking at at that moment that epitomizes success for them. When you have the awareness that you have just told yourself, I will never be this, just having that mindful awareness that you are telling yourself something that is so definitively negative and knowing that you have already set that thought in stone, which it doesn't have to be. Because if you're telling yourself, I will never achieve this, I will never become this, I will never have this, all I really propose to my reader through the Says Who Method is to change that belief. That's just a belief, and beliefs can be changed in a second. What we want to be mindfully aware of are the thoughts that we tell ourselves. Because if we don't challenge the thoughts that we tell ourselves, they become part of our core beliefs. And we actually store those core beliefs deep within ourselves. And the next thing you know, you're living your life with these core beliefs that you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not going to be successful, you're not worthy of this, you're not worthy of that. That actually becomes your core beliefs. And what we know about beliefs is that you really create your life based on your beliefs. That's really the connection of the manifestation theory, that if you hold negative thoughts about yourself and believe them to be true, you will manifest that outside of yourself. As Byron Katie says, don't believe everything you think. Exactly. I mean, I think that there are many roads that lead to the same theories, you know, that I have my says who method that I think really works in the same way. Working with our thoughts has been around for a very long time. Being, again, inquisitive, being a questioner, inquiring, 
it's been around. Some of the greatest philosophers through time talked about, you know, I think it was either Socrates, I believe, or Heraclitus. I don't know if I'm getting my exact philosopher correct here, but a life unexamined is not worth living. Yes, yes. Could have even been could have even been Carl Jung. I some of my favorite quotes sometimes get melded together. Anyway, yes, you know, if you don't examine, if you don't question, if you just readily accept every single thought that you tell yourself to be true, or I might add what other people tell you, then you're just going to believe everything that you believe is true when in fact they might not be true at all. The very first step is to be aware of your thoughts. I will speak for myself. Meditation practice in my life has helped me to become aware of my thoughts. And those thoughts can be negative, can be positive. It's just being aware of all my thoughts. And then I can challenge my own thoughts and ask, is that thought true or not? Yes, whether the thought is true or not, or even if you don't know if it's true or not, you know, ask yourself, you know, really, as you know, Nishant, with the book, I have the Says Who Method, some of the questions of the method, there's seven very user-friendly, very straightforward, very logical questions to ask oneself. I mean, one of my favorite Says Who question is, do I like this thought? Do you know how many thoughts do people think that they don't even like? Or another one of the says who question is, does this thought make me feel better? Well, if it doesn't make you feel better, then why do you continue to think it? Or does this thought work for me? Tell me what this negative thought does for you favorably, and how is it working for you positively in your life? You know, when I ask these questions to people, it stops them in their tracks. (laughs) <laughs> because it, it, it short circuits the negative thought, basically. You literally, like, you zap it in its tracks. And our feeling is connected to our thoughts. If we are thinking crappy thoughts, we are going to feel crappy, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, it's very connecting the dots. Thoughts create feelings, create emotions, create behaviors, create actions, create reality. Any thought that you have will produce an emotion for sure. And sometimes people come to me and they are so mired in their emotion that we have to go searching for the thought that's connected to it. Because a lot of the times people are so taken over by an emotion, they don't even know the thought that's triggered that emotion. I always say there's a thought connected to that emotion. Some people know what the thought is. Some people need to dig a little bit deeper to find out why they're so at the effect of that thought that is producing that particular emotion. Yes, Aura, I would like to ask you about something else. Your friend, Marianne Williamson, who is a celebrated spiritual teacher and best-selling author, she has a testimony for you. She, Aura is a source of inspiration. She is a treasure. Her voice brings the passion of her own experience. She is able to reach deep into our hearts because she is so much wisdom from her own when she speaks i listen when she writes i read it when she gives advice i hate it her sparkle and power are not to be missed did you give any advice to her (laughs) (laughs) i marianne is such a special woman and does such extraordinary work herself you know on the planet We've had the good fortune of knowing each other and shared many ideas and thoughts. And we've had some very lovely, deep conversations over the years. And I think we both really appreciate and respect each other and appreciate each other's wisdom, if you will. So I think that what she said is so beautiful. I I was so profoundly touched when she wrote that as a testimony for my book. I, I, it, was, it, it couldn't have been more beautifully written. So what was the basis that she said that her advice has not to be missed? I think it's the overall work that I do, because whether it's the advice that I give in my books or it's the advice that I give to those that are near and dear to me, I'd like to think that I give advice from my heart 
to those that I know or those that I come into contact with. I think I, I try to come from a place of truth and I try to come from a place of wisdom so that when I am with somebody and we are talking about life or topics or conversations that we might be having, that I, I do like to bring that present into our time together. It's important. Do you have any advice for our listeners to live a calm and better life if they want to? I would say that my advice would be, you know, really, I'll, I'll go off of what you just said. Do you want to? Do you want to live a life that you envision for yourself? That's a great way to present it, Nishant, because, you know, you can espouse wisdom to people. You can share words of wisdom. Uh, you can do all of that. And it's those that are really ready to hear it, ready to receive it or really ready to change within themselves. You know, when we're ready to change within ourselves, we will open ourselves up to receiving that which can help us grow and evolve. Everybody is capable of doing that. All you have to want to do is to want, desire to do that. Nobody can really help you change. Nobody can help you grow and evolve. You have to want that for yourself. It's something that must come from within. Yeah, that is a great way to explain because all these practices, routines, and wisdom are not hidden from anybody. It's all there. It is just we have to be wanting and desire. So true. It is so true. It is really there for the taking. We have so much that we can learn. We have so much around us that we can receive, you know, whether it's written, the written word, whether it's in books, whether it's in movies, storytelling, or whether it's sitting quietly, going back to the earlier part of our conversation. When one sits quietly, that's the beauty of contemplation. Contemplation is really being in a quiet state to receive. Receive what it is you want to hear and receive it from whatever source you want to hear it from. It could be coming from your own inner wisdom. It could be coming from divine source, whatever that means for you. It could be from the unity consciousness that maybe we share together in the, as a collective and the whole concept of oneness that we are not separate from anyone or anything. You know, when we are able to receive we really can receive information that can be very profound and can really start to make the mystery of life more understandable for us. Do you feel that receiving can be hard for a lot of people, receiving gifts, receiving abundance, receiving the gifts of life? I do. I do. I think that Probably the reason for that maybe comes down to fear. First and foremost, fear can block us from receiving. Fear of not wanting to know, fear of not feeling again deserving, fear of the, you know, of the unknown can be frightening to people. Do you know sitting quietly and just being with oneself can be frightening to people? you know, what I ask them is, what are you most afraid of? What is that you think you're afraid that you will come to know about yourself? You might be very, very pleasantly surprised. You know, there's that great quote, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And when you get on the other side of fear, you realize there's less and less to be afraid of. Meditation is one of the practices to face the fear. Are there other practices? such as journaling or something like that? I love journaling. I just released a journal myself, the Live True Daily Journal. When I'm going to be doing an online workshop called the Live True Daily Journal Workshop for any listeners that are interested. It begins April 15th through June 3rd. Journaling is beautiful because journaling gives us an opportunity to be able to write down, whether it's stream of consciousness you know, whether it's just, you know, extemporaneous thoughts, goals, 
desires, wishes, dreams, etc. The Live True Daily Journal that I created was really geared for the authentic self journey, which is really about being able to write down through prompts and quotes and, again, ways in which we can really support ourselves being true to who we are. So I think that, yes, meditation is a great way to come to know oneself better, journaling, you know, spending time again with contemplative practices, whether you do yoga, doing something as as simple as mindfulness walking, take a walk, you know, walk, even if it means, you know, you can walk with someone, you can walk with yourself, walk and really don't, you know, be on your phone when you're walking, walk and really listen to the sounds of nature. Watch what's all around you mindfully, you know, feel the the air on your face, you know, smell the smells that's around you of nature, hear the sounds of nature, you know, all these things that we do. And really, what are we saying in essence is that we're stopping being distracted. We're, we're, we're stopping ourselves from being distracted. That is one of the, the, the best recommendations I can give to anybody, really, is to just allow themselves to spend time with yourself, at least at some point in your day. What is your personal journaling process? Do you do a free journaling or do you have prompts? In my Live True Daily Journal, I have prompts. So for someone who's perhaps new to journaling or they want to take this journey on the authentic self journey, it's really a beautiful journal, I have to say. I'm very proud of it. And it's just full of prompts. I've also journaled for years where it's been very stream of consciousness, very extemporaneous. And again, one of the things that I said about dream retrieval. I've always had a journal by the side of my bed. I can wake up in the morning and whether it is to write down a dream, I've done that in journals. It could be setting my intentions. You know, it could be writing a poem. It could be just a, a affirmation, again, intention setting. It's so wonderful to be able to see something in writing with non-judgment, you know, just to write something down And I happen to really love the extemporaneous, free-forming, you know, active imagination, which is a psychological term. Do you ever go back to your journal and revisit? I have, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. And I'm always fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by, you know, maybe where I was at at a certain time in my life and And some of the things that I wrote down, I'm very touched by, actually. I was like, wow, that's really profound for me. And it resonates for me even today. Sometimes I go back and I read what I've written, and I really see the progression of my journey and where I've come from and where I've taken myself to. And I think that the life journey is all about, you know, being and and continuing to become. We are constantly evolving we are constantly changing and there is something really lovely about looking at that reflectively in a journal to really see where you know you've come and with this particular journal that i have out right now because you're mentioning journaling is over an eight-week period because it you know they say that it takes approximately that amount of time to really solidify new habits new patterns of thinking where you really start to absorb these new ways of thinking that they become more more familiar to you and that they become sort of the natural stasis of of your mind and how you start to function you have so many quotes on your social media and on other platforms so do you have any favorite quote or philosophy that you live your life by you know one of my Oh my gosh. I mean, yes, I am such a quote lover. (laughs) (laughs) And if you read any of my books, and even if you pick up my journal, you'll see that it's just chock full of quotes from beginning to end, really from so many people, philosophers, authors, mystics, musicians, poets. 
that I love and that I really resonate to. The one quote that I tend to repeat a lot when I'm asked is the Gandhi quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. It's just the quote that I always go back to again and again. And I think the reason why it's a quote that I repeat a lot to myself and I share with others is because I do believe that we are the change. When we decide to change, we do become the change that we wish for and that we no longer place the expectation of change to be outside of ourselves, but that we ourselves understand that it is for us to change. And when we change, true change can happen with us and with the world. And every change is scary, full of fear, full of uncertainty, but that is the process of change. Yes, yes. Change is, that is the quote for sure by Heraclitus, the Greek philosopher, the only constant in life is change. So in as much as you can fear change, guess what? We can't control it because it is constant. Things do not stay permanent. Yes. Aura, I would like to connect this conversation to Sacred Sundays. You used to do videos with amazing guests on your Sacred Sundays on YouTube. And I would like to mention two names who are my favorite women. Malika Chopra, who is the daughter of Deepak Chopra, and Catherine Woodward Thomas, whose work is around conscious uncoupling. Did you learn anything from these two women specifically, if so? Well, they're just, first of all, wonderful women. I don't know Malika personally, even though I had her on my show and I so enjoyed my time with her being my guest. I have a very interesting story to share about Malika that she didn't know this when she was my guest the night that she was my guest on Sacred Sundays which was at Mystic Journey, a bookstore here in Los Angeles. My sister, Esther, the one that I speak about that had the breakdown, she had passed away shortly before my scheduling with Malika to be my guest. And I was really grieving during that time. And I had to make a very big decision to either cancel my time with Malika or to continue the conversation and keep her as my guest on the day that she was scheduled to be the guest. And it was really a very special time for us to spend together because it was just a very delicate space that we were sharing at that time. I've never told her that, even though she knows that, because I had expressed it to my audience and to Malika during that time. I think her work is so lovely, you know, her work around meditation, her work about with mindfulness and with children learning the value of meditation. I think her work is just so lovely. Catherine Wilder Thomas, who is a personal friend of mine, and I just adore her. I love her work around love and around relationships. Her work is very much about bringing conscious awareness into the relationship with others. And I think her work is just beautiful in the way she's brought that into people's awareness. And just the title itself, Conscious Uncoupling, is, you know, really quite innovative and rather revolutionary to bring the whole concept of conscious uncoupling, because we know historically that that can be difficult to do. You know, a lot of people have not been able to do that. So I think what she's introduced is wonderful. Is there anything we should have covered in this conversation, Ara? You know, Nishant, I think we've covered quite a lot. And I think the questions that you've asked me, I hope, have shed some light on, you know, areas for your listeners. I, I, I really think that we have covered such a wonderful array of, you know, subjects and your questions have been very mindful and i unless there's something else you would like to ask me i think think we've covered quite a a good territory we have where would you like our listeners to find you online and about your work the best place to find me is my website which is auranadrich.com 
and everything is there. I've got everything you would want to see. I've got articles, meditations. I have an online thought coach certification training program, which is an online program that I have. I've created a whole new niche of coaching, which is called thought coaching. And it's pretty amazing. I have about 100 graduates all over the world. They can find out anything about the work that I'm doing there. My books, if they want to pick up one of my books, obviously, Amazon is a really fast way to do that. So I would say that's the best way to, you know, find out more about me. Great. And I will link everything in the show notes. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ara, for this amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. Oh, and thank you so much, Nishant, for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishantgarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me you can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life you are not alone in this journey we all struggle in life there is no shame in talking about it i go through my highs and lows i get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life you can also do this you've got this don't judge yourself you are doing the best you can and thank you so much again